This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 420 with Parijat Deshpande. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 420. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Parijat Deshpande is the leading high-risk pregnancy expert, mind-body health specialist, trauma professional, speaker, and author who teaches women how to deactivate their stress response before, during, and after a high-risk pregnancy so that they can give their baby a strong start to life. Her unique approach has served hundreds of women to manage pregnancy complications and reclaim a safety and trust in their bodies they thought they had eroded forever. Parijat is the author of the best-selling book, Pregnancy Brain, a mind-body approach to stress management during a high-risk pregnancy. She is also the host of the popular podcast, Delivering Miracles, that discusses the real raw side of family building, including infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, and healing once baby comes home. Parijat is also a shameless mom to her own two babies, ages seven and one. I loved this conversation. The work that Parijat is doing is really, really incredible and so powerful. And I definitely, definitely want you to listen in if you are pregnant, if you are trying to conceive, if you know someone who's pregnant or trying to conceive, especially if you know someone in a high-risk pregnancy. 
oh my gosh, the work that Parijat is doing is just really incredible. And I think it's so necessary. So listen in to hear her share her journey of serious and dangerous complications during fertility treatments that led to the delivery of her 24-week-old baby boy, how she managed preterm labor and used her mind to dramatically impact her and her baby's health and bought her son a life-giving additional 15 days in utero, the very bittersweet journey of having a second child via a gestational carrier, the impact of prenatal stress and trauma on pregnancy outcomes and how you can learn to self-manage prenatal stress and trauma by re-regulating your nervous system. And she's also going to talk about the truth about trauma and how your body and brain resolve it or not. This was a really powerful conversation. I'm so grateful for the work that Parijat is doing. I cannot wait to share her brilliance with you. So with all of that, let's go ahead and dive in with Parijat Deshpande. Parijat, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So we are connected through Christine McAllister, who was a guest on the show and such an amazing mom. And so I know like no pressure, but I know she would only bring me someone really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's incredible. I always love getting introductions from other people when people come to me and say, hey, I know this person who would be an amazing fit. You have to have her on your show. And Christine, someone where her like recommendation I take very seriously. I was like, okay, done. Let's do it. I love it. (laughs) Yes, yes. So here we go. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Yeah, so I feel like I'm in this place right now where I'm just serving my people, you know, and I'm working with the women that I absolutely love. And I've got my kids at home and we're in this new house and we're almost unpacked. And it just kind of feels like things are coming together after a long journey. (laughs) Oh, and that's such a great feeling because when you're at the beginning of a journey like that, you feel like, are we ever going to get there? I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. I love it. And how old are your kids? They are seven and one. Oh my goodness. Seven and one. How cute. And I love watching, is your seven-year-old a helper with the one-year-old? Sometimes. (laughs) And it depends on what else is going on. (laughs) Yeah. I find that sometimes, I mean, I have one seven-year-old, so I don't have this experience, but I find in watching other people with kids who are a little older with a new baby, like the ownership that they take sometimes can be very, very sweet. It is. He's certainly very protective of her. So when people come over and they want to go play with her, he's like, um, excuse me, excuse <laughs> me first, please. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I know you work with moms around infertility and loss and high risk pregnancy. And this comes from your own experience. And so can you talk about your entrance into motherhood and some of the challenges that you faced and kind of what brought you into this place of working with women in the way you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's truly inspired by my personal experience. So we, my husband and I knew when we got married that we would have trouble conceiving. That was just a known fact that we were not going to be one of those couples that was going to try for a little while and then find out that it was going to be hard. We knew from the beginning that we were going to need fertility treatment. And so we, after talking to several doctors, they kind of said, well, you know, you're really young. I was in my 20s, but your window for conceiving really is not that wide, you may want to start your family sooner rather than later, which kind of came as a surprise to us. But, you know, we were were married. We knew we wanted children. So we kind of jumped in about a year earlier than we had planned. But, you know, we were okay with that. We jumped into fertility treatment and we lost our first due to a ruptured ectopic. And that was a humongous wake up call for us because, you know, we'd heard enough from friends who had been trying or who had begun their families 
before us, miscarriages happen. And so we were kind of as prepared as you could possibly be, which is not very prepared, but at least we knew that that was a possibility. We were not at all prepared that the journey to growing the family could be dangerous to me. Yes, that's what I was going to say. That's like a whole different ballgame. Yes. And so that kind of threw us into the pit of trauma, so to speak, where, you know, I had an emergency surgery and my husband just really was very deeply affected by seeing me just kind of go pale and more and more pale over time and getting me into surgery and waiting for the surgery to be over. And just that whole experience was really, really hard for him. And so when we were ready to try again, you know, we took a few months off for me to physically recover and then also for both of us to emotionally recover from that. And when we were ready to try again, we knew IVF was our only option. And so we proceeded very carefully and very slowly. We asked a million questions before we agreed to do anything because we were so scared of something like that happening again. And what happened was we ended up with 10 embryos. Well done. Having gone through IVF, 10 is a good number. (laughs) 10 is a good number. 10 is a really good number. We were very happy about that. And we were joking like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to have 10 kids at some point. This is crazy. (laughs) And so we went into it again, kind of naively and thought, great. Okay. The hard part is over. We've got the embryos. Let's do this. Let's make a baby. And so we did a fresh transfer at the time. They were still doing a lot of fresh transfers, which they don't recommend so much anymore. And for reasons, you'll see why. And, you know, we transferred. And before I even found out I was pregnant, I had my first complication called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. It was a a severe to critical level of that. I ended up in the hospital. It was very scary. I actually felt that more scary than my ruptured ectopic because it just felt I was so sick from it. And can you just explain to people, a friend of mine had this and my experience in watching her go through it was like you basically, you have this hyperstimulation of the ovaries and you look like you're six months pregnant. Yeah. I hadn't even taken the pregnancy test. I was in that two week wait and I was like six, seven months pregnant. My What happens is the fluid from your blood vessels, the fluid from that gets dumped into your pelvic cavity and your abdominal cavity. And so it fills up with fluid and then your blood becomes very, very thick, which is very dangerous because you could develop blood clots. And the only way to relieve that is you have to do what's called a paracentesis, which is you take this gigantic needle and they put it in places that it should not go and they drain out the fluid and the fluid comes back. It's not a long-term solution. It's just for relief. And so I had to have four of those. Yeah. And I ended up in the hospital because my kidney levels weren't looking good. My liver levels weren't looking good. It was just like, it was hard and scary. And it, we were like, okay, maybe. And the good thing about OHSS is that it has, you can develop it after the initial round of IVF when you are working for towards egg retrieval. And then if you don't do a transfer, which is why they now start rec- started recommending frozen embryo transfers, then it goes away by the time your period comes. And then you, it resolves and it's usually mild, sometimes kind of moderate, but it doesn't get this bad. When you do become pregnant, though, and and that happens with a fresh transfer, is then it starts to get better. And then when you get pregnant, it actually gets worse. You have the second wave of it. And that's what was happening to me. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that there... I thought it was just part of that early part of the process. I didn't know that it could also be post-implantation. 
Right, exactly. And so that second wave doesn't get better until you're out of the first trimester. So, And then it resolves on its own. So we thought, okay, that's what this is. So we've just got to ride this out. It is going to be awful, but I'm safe and we're just going to keep watching baby. So, and I'm going to get the medical care that I need. So let's just watch it and hope that once this is over, that's all this is. And that was just a dramatic start. And that was it. And unfortunately, that was not the case. So I ended up going on to experience eight pregnancy complications, one after the other. They just started building up and building up. I was put on uh, modified activity restrictions starting week six of my pregnancy. And it became more like stricter restrictions to the point where they're like, you probably shouldn't work anymore. So I had to quit my job. Like all my whole world just stopped because it just became that scary. And at 22 weeks and four days, I was admitted to the hospital because I was three centimeters dilated. And I had already been experiencing preterm contractions for several weeks prior to that. And it was just kind of a, just wait and see, just wait, maybe, you know, and it was a very tenuous situation. But by that point, I knew that night, I knew something was wrong. We ran to the hospital and they said, you're three centimeters dilated, you're not leaving here. What was your mental health like up to this point? Well, that's the thing, I was terrified. The entire time, because we were literally living a life where every week we would go to the ultrasound and they'd say, hey, heartbeat's there, baby's doing good. And the next week I would develop another complication or something else would happen or a complication that existed was exacerbated. And so I was going to the doctor almost weekly and every day was like, are we going to make it to the next day? Is everything I we I don't even know. And it was terrifying. And on top of that, I was completely isolated. I wasn't working anymore. I wasn't going out anymore. I was only seeing people who were able to come visit me. Because you're also supposed to be resting. Yeah. (laughs) So relaxing, right? Yeah, totally relaxing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was terrifying. And that night, you know, I was admitted around midnight. So the next morning, my whole team of doctors came to see me early in the morning, my OB, my two MFMs, they came in and I will never forget the look on my OB's face. She had tears coming down her face. She had seen what we had been through up until that point, which was five complications I'd had up until this point. I developed three more after. And she just said, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you're going to have to do this. They were that sure I was going to lose the baby. They were that sure. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder, so if you are a heavy shedder, or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself, and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. And it was in that moment, after hearing all of the data and the statistics of viability and survivability and long-term health issues, and we heard some horrible things, but we knew you know, they had to tell us so we could make informed decisions. And it was in that moment that I said, look, I know that my contractions are changing based on how tense and tight my body is because of how afraid I am. So I'm going to work on keeping my body relaxed and releasing all the stress that I'm holding on to. You guys do everything else and let's see what happens. That was kind of my take on it. And if that meant that, you know, he still was born too early, then at least I would know that I did everything I could. But there's something there that I said, I've got to focus on this. There's something there. And you could see it on the monitors. I was continuously monitored. And you could see any time my anxiety went up, the preterm contractions went up. And every time I did my job of releasing that tension from my body, they stopped. And that was whether I was on medication or not. Wow. And in doing that... I was able to help myself stay pregnant for 15 days. Holy cow. And that is even after my water broke at 23 plus two and after we had many scares of him possibly coming and after the doctors were really trying to tell us, you're not going to stay pregnant for more than 72 hours. We don't see this happening. Oh my goodness. And we got 15 days. That's amazing. So he was born at 24. 
five weeks? He was born at 24 weeks and five days. 24 weeks. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that entrance, that experience right there is that he was born on a Friday. And on Wednesday, before he was born, I didn't know he was going to be coming. We had had several days of just like calm waters. Things had just really stabilized. And I remember thinking, and I there was a moment I put my hand on my belly, tiny little belly at that time. And we had an unusually quiet moment in the hospital room. And I talked to him out loud. And I said, if we both survive this and we get to go home together, I'm leaving my career and I'm coming back to help women who are going through this because nobody's here telling people the power of the body to influence pregnancy outcomes. Do I wish anyone had a 24-weeker? Absolutely not, right? But 24 weeks in our case was better than 22. It gave him a chance at life. And if we can do that, we can teach this to everybody else. And that, like, imagine what could happen if women came into that awful situation with that much more power and that much more belief in their bodies when everybody else around them is telling them something's not possible. Oh my goodness. So amazing. So he was born and tell me if there's other gaps you want to fill in, but I'm also aware that like, so you had this son seven years ago and you opted to do this again because <laughs> you have two children. Right. So he had a lengthy NICU stay. Right. He was in the NICU for a very long time. Actually, the date that we are recording this is the day it was it's his homecoming anniversary today, actually. Oh, my gosh. What's his name? His name is Vihan. Vihan. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So we do a cake every year to celebrate that. And it's a wonderful day in our family. <laughs> and so he you know, he had a very a lengthy stay. Uh, it was that's a whole other marathon on its own, being in the NICU and learning to trust a whole new medical team that has no history with you and now is suddenly responsible for keeping your child alive. That was very challenging. You know, my husband and I were in the NICU every single day for 109 days that he was there. Oh my gosh. And then after that, he and I were on lockdown for two and a half years. So that means we could not go anywhere other than the doctor's office or any other specialists that he was seeing for any medical appointments or to select family members' houses who we knew would not be carrying any type of lingering virus or anything, and it would be safe for him to go because for the two and a half years, he was immunocompromised, meaning that if he had gotten even a standard regular cold, it would have sent him back to the hospital. Oh my God. So we couldn't do grocery stores, play dates, playgrounds, restaurants, none of that for two and a half years. And you couldn't do that stuff without him because you couldn't risk ex exposure, I'm assuming. Exactly. So somewhere around three, eh, about two and a half, three, kind of when we were ending that lockdown piece, you know, we had nine embryos left and we've always wanted a big family. And so we started our discussions of let's first figure out what the heck just happened and then go from there to see what we want to do going forward. And the long story short from that is we spoke with almost a couple dozen doctors around the country to get various opinions from different specialties. And the unanimous conclusion was, we're not going to tell you not to do this because we can't, but we really, really don't think you should do this again. That was kind of the impact that came from that, which was not a surprise because prior to the IVF cycle that we had done for my son, I had sat my husband down actually at that point and I said, I just have this feeling my body's not going to be able to carry a pregnancy. Should we look into surrogacy? And at the time, it was just so early in the journey, it didn't make any sense to jump that far. Right. But now that's where we were. 
we had nine embryos left and we wanted more children. And my gut feeling and the professional advice was you probably shouldn't carry your next child. Since you had that sense that that was coming, were you kind of resolved to that or was that process of loss right there? You know, at the time, it was a relief to hear that from other people because it was validating my experience. Yeah. Once we were actually doing it and once our gestational carrier was pregnant with my daughter, there was a tremendous amount of loss that I had to work through. Mm. It really didn't come out until we knew that there was a baby coming. Wow. Yeah. And how did you talk about that a little bit? Talk about you know how that grief hit you and how you managed that? It came with in a lot of different ways. The first time I remember it really hitting was when we went to visit our gestational carrier for her first appointment with her OB. We went there for the heartbeat. We got to hear and see the heartbeat. We got to see the baby. And the whole experience was just life altering. And it wasn't until I got on the plane to go home and I just sobbed that I was leaving my baby somewhere again, that this is happening again, that somebody else is responsible for my child's health and well-being, and it's not me. Yeah. And so it was coming up in a lot of different ways like that, where, you know, she would text me and she was wonderful about texting me updates of, oh, she's kicking or I felt her kick for the first time or, you know, little things like that. Um, Oh, she's being very active today when I was playing this particular music or I sent her recordings of our voices. And so anytime she put on the songs that I was singing, she would send me a text saying, oh, she really loves when you sing this song or something. And it just every time that happened, it came with a moment of, such joy and feeling so grateful to have this experience and such sadness that I wasn't there to experience it at the same time. That makes a lot of sense. And let to have those feelings coexist. Yeah. That's a lot of discomfort. Yeah. (laughs) And, and recognition, I think around, you know, trying to like, I should be grateful that we can do this. And then but also this is devastating, you know, like, that's a lot. Oh, my goodness. So I want to talk a little bit about how these huge, I mean, two really different journeys and like many journeys within each of them and even pre- your, within your ectopic experience as well. How did those, so you decided, like you said, you know, you knew right before your son was born that this would change the course of your life and career. So we'll kind of talk about what that has looked like and how that you had this shift around this needs to be a message and a mission. Yeah. So after my son's birth and when I was kind of ready to start this business and my practice, my focus entirely was on how can we teach women who are going through a high risk pregnancy, no matter why they're high risk, the power of their bodies to influence pregnancy outcomes because it matters unresolved grief, unresolved trauma, anxiety, stress, general tension, the mistrust of your medical system, all of that affects our health down to a cellular level. So how do I do that? And so I began working with clients. And then I wrote last year as our gestational carrier was growing the baby, I was growing a book. And so we kind of had these parallel experiences. And I wrote a book about that pregnancy brain was all about that. And so that's kind of where my experience with my son kind of filtered in and began the business. And it was after my daughter was born that I realized there's a whole other aspect to it that we're not talking about, which is recovery afterwards. And how do you uh, it, allow yourself to release the grief and the trauma you went through to get this baby so that it doesn't affect your health in motherhood or when you're trying to conceive again? 
And so the business has actually grown that and my practice is actually the scope of my practice has grown quite a bit. And each of my children kind of have a stake in each part of the business actually really influenced by my personal experience with bringing both of them into the world. I would imagine your work has been very healing for you. It's amazingly healing for me also to witness my clients see their blood pressure drop, see their preterm contractions stop, see them making it longer than their doctors say they're going to is such validation. Like this works, this works. And it's not part of standard prenatal care. So it's just such an honor to be able to witness my clients experience these milestones that they never thought would be possible. So I want to dig into a little bit of that part of your work. And how do you work with women who are pregnant in high risk situations? And I mean, it sounds like what you do is really in conjunction with kind of traditional medicine. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Because this sounds I mean, I'm sure there is a woman listening right now who needs this message who's in the situation who's, you know, taking every bit of advice she can from her doctors and also still in a, a situation that just feels, you know, maybe not so hopeful right now. Yeah, absolutely. So all of my clients are women who need traditional Western medicine to help during their pregnancy. So, you know, it's built into the work that I'm not certainly not the practitioner who says, well, we should do everything alternative and we should like, that's just not, they're not my people because I wasn't that person either. Right. And so the work that I do is I, with women with high risk pregnancies, I work with them from when we start working all the way through their due date, almost every single day, because I want them to know they don't have to figure any of it out on their own. When we have that mental load of what does that mean and what do I do and how do I, that adds to the nervous system dysregulation that I work to help them re-regulate, which has a cascading effect on their pregnancy health. And so I work in a lot of different ways. You know, I teach them regulation techniques that, and it's not with the intention to feel better. It is with the intention to actually see changes in your pregnancy which then ultimately addresses anxiety and fear and worry and all of those things. So we work to bring blood pressure down. We work to stabilize blood glucose levels. We work to stop preterm contractions and all of those things, pain management, sleep, migraines, you know, all of that. And I teach women, my clients, how to regain their trust in the medical system because most of my clients have come after being waved off from their concerns. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Right. And so now you're pregnant again or you're wanting to be pregnant again and you don't trust that somebody's going to listen to you the next time you say something's not right. That phrase right there is enough to alert somebody who's listening. And so we do a lot of work with preparing for doctor's appointments, questions to ask, reviewing what they've learned, making sense of what that means. How do you implement the suggestions and the recommendations? How do you get a second opinion? And I'm basically, without being in the room with them, I guide them through every single step of it because I want them to relearn the power of their voice. That no means no, I don't like that, I disagree with that are all very valid things to say even when you are fighting for your baby's life. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can you talk about how stress and trauma affects pregnancy outcomes? Yeah. It's, you know, that's entirely the premise of a pregnancy brain, actually, that there are so many different ways that it affects how we 
are. And when we talk about stress and trauma, we often think of, well, I'm stressed out. I'm thinking, you know, I have all these what ifs and running through my head and all these awful negative outcomes that I'm imagining and all of that. But really what's happening is it's way deeper than what we notice in our heads. Our thoughts are very loud. And so we notice them first. But what's happening just really briefly is it's changing the way that our nervous system functions and our nervous system is kind of the core system that puts everything together, right? And makes everything work. It's kind of like the conductor of an orchestra. And when that's dysregulated, and by dysregulated, I mean, it's not working in the rhythm that it's meant to work in. We see cascading effects specifically in the hormonal, the endocrine system and the immune system. And in pregnancy, those three systems, I think of it like a stool, right? A three-legged stool. In pregnancy, to sustain a healthy pregnancy, those three systems have to change. So they're not the same at, in the same situations where we are when we're not pregnant, but they change in a way where they are in a very delicate balance with each other. And when they're in balance, we're able to sustain a healthy pregnancy. When one of them shifts, it affects the other two. And we start to see health complications that affect pregnancy and that sometimes affect baby as well. So we've seen this nervous system dysregulation, right? I call it stress and trauma, but really what's happening is a dysregulated nervous system. We have tons of research that shows how much that's related to increased risk of preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, uh, preterm contractions, preterm delivery, and uh, decreased blood flow to baby, smaller sized babies, low birth weight babies. I mean, we see so much of that is tied to this. And I find that when we talk about it like this, you're, it's almost like, oh my gosh, that's the piece of the puzzle that's missing. Like I work with women who are fantastic at taking care of their health. So it's not like they're sitting around going, I don't know what to do. Like they're right there in it and they're going to their appointments and they're eating really healthy and they're sleeping if they can, they're exercising if they're allowed to, they're doing all the things, but there's still something missing and they're going, why won't my blood pressure just come down? And we add this piece to the puzzle in and suddenly things start clicking. This episode is supported by Air Doctor. You probably don't know that Americans take in about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. The indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause upper respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I am so excited that we just got our own Air Doctor for our house, and we will have it all up and running and ready to go in time for all the things that come with spring weather, but also smoke season, which is just around the corner for those of us in the Pacific Northwest. And I know many of you across the country. So here's how you can get your own Air Doctor. First of all, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS and you'll receive up to $300 off of air purifiers. Exclusive to our podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. 
Lock in this special offer by going to Air Doctor Pro, A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS. That's AirDoctorPro.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing. And they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. And I would imagine many of them are getting messages from their doctor that's like, just relax. Yes. Just take it easy. Yes. (laughs) Which is not helpful. Like that does not empower anyone. No, no, no. And especially if you're like a high anxiety person like myself, like a high anxiety control freak who's trying to carry a baby that's been told they're high risk, that's having all these complications go on. The worst thing you could say is like, just relax. Yeah. Absolutely. It's invalidating and it's not even the right advice. (laughs) Right, right. Yes, exactly. Can you talk about the difference between, so you referenced this a little bit earlier, unresolved trauma and the difference between postpartum depression and anxiety and unresolved trauma. And I'm thinking that there's, that this is in this context of if you've gone through a high risk pregnancy, that's actually traumatic. And so there's the managing that unresolved trauma versus just, and I don't mean to minimize postpartum depression and anxiety, but like just typical postpartum anxiety and depression would be different than unresolved trauma from a high-risk pregnancy, I would guess. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's, you know, what we know from the latest research in trauma is that if there is a history of trauma, usually clinical diagnoses of depression and anxiety are likely misdiagnoses. What you have done is created a disorder when what you're actually describing is a symptom of unresolved trauma. And we know that because the symptoms of 
depression and anxiety that are due to unresolved trauma don't respond to traditional treatments. And the reason for that is because when we talk about trauma, what that is, is a dysregulation of the nervous system. It's where the nervous system has become frozen in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And when we talk about regulation of the nervous system, we're not talking about never being in fight, flight, or freeze. It is getting there and then being able to come down from it on its own because that's how our nervous system is built to work. That is how it's designed to work on its own from the day we are born. And so when we talk about trauma, it is being stuck in that state. And so when we work from a perspective of trauma resolution, we see these symptoms go away quite quickly because we're now addressing the root cause of this here, which is a frozen, dysregulated nervous system. So oftentimes when I talk about this, people then go, well, how do I know that I've experienced something traumatic? And what I like to share and what I hope if there's one thing your listeners take away from this is that trauma has nothing to do with what you've been through and everything to do with how it was encoded in your nervous system at the time that it happened. And I say that because there's it happens a lot. I was actually just this weekend speaking with a, a group of women where we think that, well, I had a healthy baby. Well, you know, they were born full term or, oh, I was only in the NICU for two days or two weeks or it wasn't th- like my child didn't have a surgery. You know, And we try to minimize what happens and we go, well, then that can't be trauma because Trauma to me looks like something really awful. I didn't go through something really awful. It was bad, but it wasn't really awful. There was a good outcome. And there was a good outcome, which happens a lot. It happens a lot where we go, oh, you have a healthy baby. Great. Everything's over. And that's not what defines trauma. You can have a healthy full-term baby with a vaginal delivery, no medications. I mean, like the ideal, whatever your ideal might be, you can have that. And still be living with unresolved trauma because trauma is when your brain perceives danger, you go into survival mode and you don't come out of that. So you're stuck in that spot, right? And that's where we get stuck in fight, flight or freeze. And that's trauma. And it has nothing to do with what happened in that moment. It has nothing to do with it. And so if you're ever wondering, well, did I go? Was that trauma? Was just asking that question is often a sign that it probably was. So interesting. Oh, my goodness. This is very enlightening because I'm also I'm sure there's people who are also connecting this to other things in their life where they're, you know, like you look back and you're like, well, I mean, my parents divorce wasn't that bad, you know, relative to all divorces. It wasn't that. And that doesn't mean that you didn't experience trauma. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Because that 10 year old self or however, you know, if you felt that as as a threat to your safety and you went into survival mode, because that's what our bodies are designed to do when we feel like our safety is threatened and you couldn't get out of it for any number of reasons. It doesn't even matter. Most of them are not even in our control. If you couldn't get out of that sense of threatened safety and you're in survival mode, that's trauma. Everyone's eyes have just opened much wider. (laughs) But no, I love I think this is so valuable. It's so valuable. It just breaks my heart when I hear women who are clearly heartbroken by their experience and they don't feel like it's okay to share that or to own that or to talk about that because, well, it could have been worse. And it breaks my heart because it leaves them with the effect of unresolved trauma, which we know it has significant effects on long-term health. I have an entire workshop on metabolic disorders, autoimmune disorders, digestive disorders, cardiovascular issues. I mean, we have so much tied to what happens here. But 
even more than that, it leaves them feeling so isolated and alone and so invalidated about what they've been through. And like, we don't need that. The world is a hard enough place to be. We should be able to own what happened and be able to share that with people we trust and know that we're going to get the help to recover from that. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about how we can help friends who are pregnant or either going through infertility or high-risk pregnancies? What kinds of things, or who have gone through loss recently, what are the things that we can say that are actually helpful <laughs> and versus the many things that we shouldn't say? And I mean, back to the point I said about a doctor being like, just relax and go home and kick your feet up. Because I think that we want, I think so many of us can, you know, I know there's going to be women who listen who are in this situation or have been in the situation of being in that high risk pregnancy situation or in a period of loss and experience, you know, deep, deep grief. But then I also think so many of us have witnessed that and we don't know what to say and we want to be helpful. But we also, I think people sometimes back off because they're like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then, and you know, in your situation where you were isolated for years, like how can people be supportive of other women going through those, those phases? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And actually, to answer your very specific question of what should we say, my answer is nothing. And instead, listen, really listen. I can't tell you the people who were the most supportive to me during that time through the ectopic pregnancy, through the NICU and all of that whole thing. And then through our, we had actually a very long, we didn't get into this, but a very long journey to bringing our daughter home. And just all of that, the people who were the most supportive to me were not the ones who gave me advice, but were the ones who just asked me, how are you? And listened. And they listened to the really hard things I was saying, the really dark thoughts that I was having, and the really confusing, conflicting feelings I was having. And they just listened because this is not something to be fixed, right? That there's something so deeply powerful in knowing there's a safe space with somebody that you can just be very real about with regards to the nuances of your situation that most people don't understand. Absolutely. I'm curious if you about your perspective on everything that you've been through and having I don't know if you want to reference more about your journey of bringing your daughter home, but having been through all of that and seen the gifts that brought to you that you can bring to others. It just seems like there's a lot of gifts there, but also gifts that were like really hard to come by, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they probably didn't feel like gifts a lot of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So you want to go ahead and address that. Absolutely. I think, you know, my background, my professional training is in clinical psychology. So I'd like to believe that I was generally very good at tolerating difficult emotions in a room with my clients when I was practicing psychotherapy, which I don't anymore. But I think the experience of this of, you know, both of my pregnancies. And then we had several losses actually with our gestational carrier miscarriages prior to our daughter being born. And the whole experience of having a daughter, but being a non-birthing parent, I think really helped me to become very tolerant and very open and even more so and really honest about just how complicated this experience is. And that we see these memes on social media and we see all these pictures and posts of trying to be inspirational, but the reality is it is very, very complicated. 
And so I like to believe that I've created a space where complicated makes sense and is our norm and is safe to feel. I'd like to think that's part of the reason why my clients do as well as they do is because there's finally a place to go. Of course, I'm very grateful for X, Y, Z, and I am angry and sad and frustrated and worried and whatever else is coming with that that exists at the exact same time with the exact same level of intensity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is so much of that. We had an infertility journey that is not nearly as many ups and downs as yours. But one of the things that I realized in hindsight is that I had set this expectation on myself that like, well, if this ever works out, like you have to be the most grateful person ever for every day for the rest of your life. Right. And then I had a newborn and that I was not always grateful for. (laughs) You know, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. We had major feeding issues, like all this stuff. And I was like, but I made that promise, like you're supposed to be grateful because it took you so long to get here. And that is, I mean, to your point, that is so conflicting. And for, you know, a high achiever, go-getter kind of person, it makes you really, really hard on yourself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that has such a cascading effect too. Yes, yes. And on your self-esteem and the way you see your role as a mother and absolutely. And the man, I mean, for me, a lot of it was like, it's okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And then being like, in the back of my mind, maybe I don't like, holy cow, what if I don't? And even with my husband being like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And then having these meltdowns where he's like, I really want to help you, but you have to tell me because I would just lose my mind at these breaking points. And I think that that's not an uncommon experience. I mean, I think that's not an uncommon experience for anyone in, you know, in motherhood. But I think when you're on the back end of loss and grief and struggle, that there's this different layer to it. And it's hard to give yourself permission to be like, I should be super grateful. And also I'm annoyed that this is hard. (laughs) You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of the main message I want people to know is that it's never either or. Right. Human beings, our bodies are too complicated for it to be either or. Yeah, like it gets to be both. And that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's helpful. So tell people a little bit about how you work with women and how women could work with you, reach out and connect with you and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I work one-on-one with women who are trying to conceive and are going through a high-risk pregnancy. I've got a private program for that, you know, begins for several weeks. We do the initial nervous system regulation work, and then we continue through your estimated due date all the way through until baby comes, whenever baby comes, even if baby's early. And then for women who are done growing their family, either they're taking a break or they're completely done, I have a group program called Healing Hearts that is designed specifically for somatic release and recovery of fertility, pregnancy and birth trauma and traumatic loss. So those are the two ways that I work with women. And it's just amazing. We have some of the most incredible women that come through the one-on-one program as well as a group program. It's just, and the results that they're seeing is blows my mind every time of this is just usually, this is the piece of the puzzle that nobody's talking about. And it just makes everything else work. And it's just so cool and so humbling to be a part of their journey. So those are the two ways that I work with women. And you can find all those details on my website. And we'll have this linked up at the show notes, but is, your website is your name, correct? It's my name, parijatdeshpande.com. 
Got it. And we'll have that linked up in the show notes for everyone. Um, yeah. And I want to say that I think there is increasing awareness around birth trauma, pregnancy trauma, infertility trauma. And the more I see it, the more we, you know, we recognize how many women are impacted by this and how many women for generations have just been really quiet about this. I know my mother-in-law had nine pregnancies, six living children, a stillbirth, a baby that died at two weeks. And she was just like, that's just how it happened. Like she was just like, so matter of fact about it. And like, yeah, you know, win some, you lose. I mean, I'm sure this was very traumatic for her in the moment, but she just had this like very like, that's just how it was. And it was very matter of fact. And I love that we are sharing stories around this and learning to help women heal. And I think your work is so, so valuable and so important. So anyone who can relate to any of these experiences or feels like maybe there's an, a bit of an open loop in terms of having been through some trauma and not resolving that around pregnancy, birth, infertility, definitely, definitely, I want them to reach out and connect with you. I think this is such important work. So thank you so much. Yeah. So final question, in what ways are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? You know, I think it's kind of what we're talking about, just breaking that mold and talking about the things we're not talking about and sharing, I think, my own story. That was a big leap to take to start being open about our experiences. It took a lot of support from friends and family to be able to do that because we, I mean, to be really honest, we have a broken system here. We don't take care of mothers and mothers-to-be, Yeah. whether we have children in our arms, in our hearts, or we'll on the way. Mm -hmm. And I think teaching women the power of their bodies and how much they can influence their pregnancy outcomes and their recovery, even when everything goes completely differently than you'd expect is really just what just out there doing that. Yeah, and I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Parjada. Really appreciate it. And I know that this is going to touch other women in my community and help them heal and just connect in ways that are going to be really meaningful for them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And before we wrap, one final reminder, the final reminder I'm going to make this year for Shameless MomCon 2020. So pop on over to shamelessmomcon.com to learn everything there is to know about Shameless MomCon 2020 to grab your tickets because I want to see you in Seattle on March 26th. Like seriously, you, the person listening to this right now who's like, she doesn't really mean me. No, I do. I actually mean you. So go to shamelessmomcon.com, grab your ticket and be prepared. Be prepared for a hug from me because I'm a hugger. Be prepared for a hug from me at Shameless MomCon 2020. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.